In the book of Numbers, we find a people who have been redeemed out of Egyptian slavery. They have received words from God about worship and about life. They're going to leave Mount Sinai and head to a promised land much to hope for, much to rejoice in, much to remember and celebrate. Mount Sinai has been a place of revelation, glory, fear, trembling, all of those things and more. They have been given commands to follow. They've been given offerings to offer up. They've been given things to build. And before they leave, which happens later in Numbers 10, there's one more instruction to build something. Out of everything they've been building since Exodus chapters 25 and forward, the various elements of the Ark of the Covenant and the lampstand and the table of bread, all the things that would be in this tabernacle and this tent of dwelling place that would accompany their journey. They have one last instruction in Numbers 10. And in order to think about these objects, I want to think about military context and the roles that instruments play. The Israelites were an assembled people. And in the book of Numbers chapter 1, a census was given of Israelite men 20 years old and up. And this census would identify those who would fight in the conquest of the land of promise in the book of Joshua. The Israelites were an assembled people and would be guided by not only the cloud and fire, but by instruments. Some historical facts here might be helpful for us. Throughout military history, musical instruments play important roles. An object that's consistently found in military studies and history is the drum, especially the snare drum, often played on the side of the drummer, and would be accompanied on occasion by what's called a fife, F-I-F-E. A fife is a small flute made of wood with holes that your fingers can play. And so the drum and fife combination was very common. In the early times of colonial America, drummers played roles summoning men from their rural areas to take up arms. The Revolutionary War consisted of drummers and fife players signaling soldiers. The value of this on a practical level is that in the thick of fog, visual commands aren't going to do you very much. And you could have soldiers who knew what instruments meant what and when, and that could give you the kind of command cues you needed. Military field music. This was not so that there would be a mere soundtrack on the field. More than that, the importance of guiding and directing an army. The military bugle was introduced in England around 1800. A bugle is a brass instrument, tubing that wraps typically once around and with a very wide opening at the end. And cavalry units in the U.S. adopted the bugle for field signals all the time. Field signals through the bugle would tell soldiers when to go forward, when to go right, when to go left, when to gallop, when to lay down, when to retreat, when to start firing, when to stop firing. Different signals and at different times would guide the people. 
Before the Israelites leave Mount Sinai, the Lord says to Moses, I want you to make two silver trumpets. And this isn't primarily because Israel needed an ambiance and soundtrack for their travel. Oh, we're just so bored with the quietness of the day. If we only had some sound. Instead, what I think we notice in Numbers chapter 10 is the incorporation of silver trumpets for the life of the people being guided by God on a march. They're going to march, not randomly assembled and trying to get there as whenever they could, but a caravan of very particular ordered um, uh, tribes in order for the march to arrive under the King Yahweh banner heading to the promised land. Make two silver trumpets in verses 1 and 2. That's the call. Make two silver trumpets of hammered work. You shall make them and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. That's to summarize what we're about to read. It gives you a sense of what we're to notice in the verses that are to come. In verse 2, they're going to be about summoning people and sending them out. And some specifics are going to be given. But you have a people who have been gathered and redeemed and whose, whose Lord fights for them and with them. In verses 1 and 2, to call, the call to make the trumpets is given. How should we envision this trumpet? I don't think you should think of a brass instrument with valves And buttons at the top. Um, Don't think of a trumpet that way. You should probably envision something about a foot long. Made of of one long slender tube. That has a mouth at the end. And that would essentially suffice with this trumpet language. However, the Bible does speak of other things called a ram's horn. Sometimes known as a shofar. That's not what this is in Numbers 10. This is different. This is different from the ram's horn or shofar language that you do see in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Psalms and other places. That's not Numbers 10, 1 to 10. These are two silver trumpets that are going to direct the tribes. Numbers 9 ended with how God would direct and command them. It told us in Numbers 9 that a cloud and fire would guide the people, which would allow a Bible reader to say, then what's the point of the silver trumpets? It's not like the cloud by day and the fire by night are subtle. They're not subtle. They are gargantuan, massive guiding symbols of the presence of God. And then God says, and by the way, I want you to get two silver trumpets. Why? Because the people look up and can't see what they should. Instead, what we find, I think, is something above and something below, something of heaven and something made of earth that complements the scene. That both fire and cloud above and silver trumpet on the ground will guide the people. In fact, given the tents and setup, it's very possible that when a tribe needs to move, somebody's not outside to see cloud and fire. What will they rely on along with cloud and fire above them? The camp will hear the blast of silver trumpets. Silver trumpets that will work in tandem with the fire and cloud above. I want you to notice with me five purposes in Numbers 10 for the silver trumpets. And then we'll think together about what these silver trumpets uh, mean and the trajectory of this subject in the rest of the scripture. Five purposes for these trumpets. Number one, if the whole congregation should gather, a trumpet blast is used. You, You can notice this in verse three. 
If the whole congregation should gather together. Verse 3 says, when both trumpets are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting is another term for that portable tabernacle, the tent. Made of wooden frames and overlaid with curtains and skins and linens where the priests would minister and pray and even offer sacrifices outside on an altar. The tabernacle or tent of meeting had an entrance on the eastern side. And they're told here in verse 3, if you hear both silver trumpets, what do you know to do? You know to gather at the entrance of the tabernacle, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, I think we could recognize uh, it could easily be overstated here because the Israelites number in the many, many thousands. Uh, So this would require us to see that the Israelites probably have representation by different tribal leaders and heads. And and more than just that, though, that would gather. We couldn't imagine every individual Israelite at an eastern entrance in any practical way that would be meaningful. The whole congregation or all the congregation is to say as much as one can gather at the eastern side. Here's a second purpose. Verse four tells us with the second purpose Trumpet blasts might mean that only the chiefs are to come together. Verse 4 says, if they blow only one trumpet, then the chiefs, the heads of the tribes of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. That also probably means at the tabernacle. Gathering to you means at the eastern entrance where Moses and the priests are stationed. The tribe of Judah is there, though Moses is not from the tribe of Judah Moses and Aaron and the priests have a unique role in Israel's life, and they're on the eastern side. They shall gather themselves to you if only one trumpet blast is given. So two purposes so far, right? If the whole congregation shall gather, another purpose would be if only the chiefs are to assemble. Thirdly, if the camps are to depart. Now, this tabernacle is rectangular, This rectangle is surrounded by a courtyard of frames and curtains that enclose it. You might still be able to peer over the top of it, but Israelites would know what's on the other side of this courtyard perimeter. Because it is rectangular in perimeter, there are four sides. In verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 5, when it says, When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. When you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out. This tabernacle has four sides. Eastern side, and then there's a mention of a southern side. It doesn't tell us a blast will signal the western departure and then another blast to signal the northern departure. I think we're meant to imply that, that there's a blast in each side in their turn. Notice what begins. If we speak geographically and and, uh, mention the uh, the, uh, directions on a compass, we probably say north, south, east, and west. That's how I learned it. I wouldn't say, yeah, east, south, west, and north. That's probably not what I'm going to say. I'm going to say north, south, east, and west. But the Israelites are given instructions to set out on a particular side for special emphasis. The eastern side was the side of entrance. The eastern side was the place where the tribe of Judah camped. And the tribe of Judah was the royal tribe. Kings would descend from them. David would come from them. The Lord Jesus would be born of the tribe of David in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. When you read of the eastern side setting out, starting with the eastern side matters, not just geographically, but theologically. 
There's an emphasis there. And then the movement is clockwise. East to then south. And then we should assume, I think, west and north. Earlier in the book of Numbers, the march is to set out that way. Reading chapter 10 with earlier texts, I think we can imply that here too. So if the whole congregation should gather, there's going to be a trumpet blast. If only the chiefs are to assemble, there's some trumpet blast. If the camps are to depart, there's trumpet blast. We should, we should imagine there are some details not recorded here that in the hearing of the people would be clear. Like the length of a blast. Like the amount of blast, perhaps in a staccato and disconnected way. Or more than one trumpet, like in verse 3 that's used, so that the sound is obviously louder. While all those details are not given specifically here, I think we can recognize that they wouldn't say, is that the blast to depart? We're on the eastern side. Do we need to leave? I, I, don't, I don't think there would be ambiguity on the practical level. The Israelites are to be given some instructions here to follow. Then we notice after the camps are to depart, there are some appointed trumpeters in verses 7 and 8. We'll get to the fourth purpose in just a moment. The appointed trumpeters are given in verses 7 and 8. When the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall blow the trumpets. The trumpet shall be to you for a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In verse 7, this is not a new purpose. I don't think we're to take it as a, the fourth one that I'll mention in a minute. This, I think, is looking back to what we've just read. When the assembly is to gather, blow a long blast. That's not an alarm to depart. You and I have occasion in life to hear certain sounds and signals that mean something. And you can tell the difference between them. For example, you know when somebody's calling you on your cell phone versus the sound of an amber alert. You're not thinking, all right, is somebody calling me when an amber alert sound comes through on your phone? Now, if a tornado warning happens around us and you hear that siren, you know what that means as well. And in fact, it means different things depending on some of you in this room. For some of you, you're going to the basement. Others of you are getting a chair and you're going on the porch. I know this because some of you have said this. But either way, the, the, uh, the tornado signal is saying something. Uh, I'm looking at you, Caleb. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, tornado siren is saying and signaling things. When you, when you listen to sounds as an Israelite... The uh, ambiguity isn't something that would last. The practice on the ground, travel by travel, move by move, would ingrain in your people a memory of what to distinguish and how to move and when. In verse 8, though, this is not a list throughout all the tribes where everybody gets their own turn on the trumpets. In verse 8, the only people blowing the trumpets are the priests. That's it. In verse 8, in the, sound, the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. And not just until they die shall the trumpets be blown, even after the death of the sons of Aaron. The trumpet shall be to you for a perpetual statute. That means on and on from generation to generation. Now, right now, Aaron has two sons. He had four. In Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu were struck dead. They had defied the Lord's command. They were judged on the spot and their life came to an end. Aaron has two remaining sons, Eliezer and Ithamar. And now there will be two silver trumpets, one for each of Aaron's sons. But even after they die, these silver trumpets would have an ongoing use. I want to show you in 2 Chronicles what I mean. In 2 Chronicles 13, the king of Jerusalem is a man named Abijah. 
And Abijah wants to proclaim a series of truths to the northern kingdom king. And I'm using language southern and northern because the united nation of Israel had split. And there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom king Abijah, here's what he says. Our, the Lord is our God and we have not forsaken him. We have priests, he says, ministering to Yahweh who are sons of Aaron and Levites for their service. And they offer every morning burnt offerings, sweet spices of incense. They set out showbread and the table of pure gold. They care for the lampstand. They burn its lamps every evening. And then he says, our God is with us, his priests and their battle trumpets to sound the call to battle against you. O sons of Israel, don't fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers. You cannot succeed. When you read in 2 Chronicles about priests having trumpets and you think, where did that come from? It comes from Numbers chapter 10. Silver trumpets being introduced for specific purposes in the life of Israel. Another instance in 2 Chronicles is in chapter 29. A king named Hezekiah ruling in Jerusalem restored temple worship. And we're told in chapter 29, 25, that he put Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres, according to the commandment of David. And then we see that the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests stood with the trumpets. Why again is there a connection between priests and trumpets? Because of Numbers 10. Later mentionings of these things in the Old Testament assume a prior knowledge of the command to build the trumpets. Let's get to the fourth purpose. The fourth purpose of the trumpet blast would also include if the people go to war. Verse 9, and when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and you shall be saved from your enemies. The promised land is mentioned here. Did you notice in verse 9 when you go to war in your land? There will be warfare that will characterize the life of these Israelites. Now, they're at Sinai when they're hearing this. They're in Numbers 10 at Sinai. That's the context geographically. But they are to envision a day where in the promised land, conflict arises at a military level and need for the salvation work of God will happen. They will call upon the Lord that he might remember them. And part of their prayerful call for the Lord to come and defend his people will be a trumpet blast. The language is given in verse 9 that you might be remembered before the Lord. That God would be stirred to action. And that you shall be saved from your enemies. This envisions a day then when adversaries rise up against the Israelites in the promised land. And when they ready for war, a trumpet blast shall fill the air. That's an important use indeed. Here's an example in 2 Chronicles again. 2 Chronicles has a host of these. I know I keep mentioning 2 Chronicles. It's just a a perfect place to go. 2 Chronicles 13, 13. A king named Jeroboam marshals an ambush against forces of Judah. And we're told, when Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front and behind them. And they cried out to the Lord and the priests blew the trumpets. Why would the priests do that when an adversary had risen against them because numbers chapter 10 verse 9 said to do it that's why they did it and then the men of judah raised a battle shout we're then told that god gave the enemies into the hands of the people of judah because numbers 10 9 says and the lord will save you from your enemies there are narratives 
that work out the fulfillment of these minute instructions in Numbers 10. A different situation comes in the book of Joshua. I told you earlier that in the book of Joshua, um, or I told you earlier that there are different trumpets like ram's horns, a shofar. The book of Joshua features those, but trumpet blasts still play an important role. While these aren't two silver trumpets, I still think the principle remains. We're told in Joshua 6 that the Israelites face a fortress known as Jericho. And the reader will see in chapter 6, verse 4, there are seven priests with seven trumpets of ram's horns. And they are to march around the city, and they are to blast these trumpets for six days. And on a seventh day, the people are to march around the city seven times. And then we're told in Joshua 6, verse 16. And the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the sound of the trumpet happened, the people shouted and the wall fell down flat. Once again, a context where there was an adversary. It's associated with the land of promise even and the initial entrance into it. Trumpet blasts fill the air. The victory of the Lord is celebrated and the enemies of God fall. There's a fifth and final purpose. Verse 10. If a day is an appointed occasion, if a day is an appointed occasion, Israelites knew that not every day would be just like any other or any month be filled with what any other month was. They had appointed times of remembrance. That's what I have in mind here. If a day is an appointed occasion, we're told in verse 10 this on the day of your gladness also and at your appointed feasts. And at the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord, your God. Verse 10 speaks about this trumpet blast on specific occasions. Did you notice them? The day of your gladness, which is unpacked in this way, appointed feasts. Well, they had appointed feasts in different months of the year. They even had a feast, lo and behold, called the Feast of Trumpets. You see that in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. It was in their seventh month. You also notice a location where the trumpets will be blown. You shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and the sacrifices of your peace offerings. Those are the kinds of offerings Leviticus tells you would be given at the altar in the courtyard of the tabernacle. These priests work at the tabernacle. Well, let's just see the logical practicality of this. The priests are offering sacrifices. Trumpets need to be blown. Who alone can blow the trumpets? The priests. Where are they located? They're by the altar. They're doing what they do. So right there, not only are the sacrifices being given, trumpet blasts are being sounded. And he says, this shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord, your God. The trumpet blasts have various roles then. Five of them that we've identified. If a day is an appointed occasion is the fifth purpose. Let me show you where where, uh, special occasions occur. And I bet you know which book in the Old Testament I'm going to go to first. Second Chronicles, you're right. Chapter 5, verse 12. The ark of God, the ark of God is going to be brought into the temple. Major event in the days of Solomon. The temple has been constructed over a seven-year period, and now the ark of God will be taken to be placed behind the veil. Well, here's what we're told. 2 Chronicles 5, 12, 120 priests who were trumpeters were present. And that probably means more than just silver trumpets, but lots of trumpet blasts. 
And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. If you go to 2 Kings 11, there's an announcement of King Joash being the rightful ruler. And it says there was the king standing by the pillar and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king. And the people of the land were rejoicing and others blowing trumpets. These were days of gladness. Days of celebration, particularly appointed times where the people needed to hear the sound of trumpet to remind them of the significance of what's going on. A sound of a trumpet did not mean business as usual. Something was happening. When the Babylonians later destroyed the temple and it was rebuilt during the Persians, the book of Ezra tells us what happened when the foundation was relayed. It tells us in Ezra 3.10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple, the priests in their vestments came forward with their trumpets to praise the Lord. And of course such an occasion would warrant that. It's the relaying of the foundation of the temple after the Babylonians had been conquered and the people returned from exile. Absolutely you should blast a trumpet or two or twenty. It tells us later when the destroyed walls around Jerusalem were rebuilt during the days of Nehemiah. We're told that in Nehemiah 12.35, the dedication of the wall involved priests with trumpets. Now I'm drawing your attention to these different parts of the Old Testament. So that when we read something like Numbers 10, this wasn't a throwaway command. And we think, well, the bigger deal, you know, is the lampstand, the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle as a whole. Those things, you know, really mattered that they made those. It matters that they made the trumpets. That was also part of the instruction of God. And we know the obedience was carried out because of the later Old Testament stories featuring priests with trumpet blasts. They shall be a reminder of you, God says, before your God. And I am the Lord, your God. What a solemn claim at the end there in verse 10. I am the Lord, your God. Those trumpet blasts not only gather and disperse and celebrate and sometimes only the chiefs rather than the whole congregation. Different purposes, including though... God's remembrance and involvement with the people. Over and over, we see a trumpet associated with warfare and worship. Two W words. The use of trumpets associated with worship and with warfare. The people of God have a king over them who gives them victory. They worship him and they confess him as king and lord. The people of Israel are to assemble and remember and sing and rejoice and trust and hope. Part of the way that will be prompted is by the use of particular trumpets on special occasions. I want you to know that the gathering work of God by the Spirit is not over. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 24, 31, He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet. And they will gather His elect from the four winds. From one end of heaven to the other. It doesn't specify there first east and then south and then west and then north. It just says all the the regions of the globe. God will be gathering his people. And what in that picture, that image of the gathering together and the summoning together before the Lord God to worship and to know him, to repent and to believe. What's it associated with God gathering his people by the word of the gospel? Trumpet blasts. Speaking of the coming of Christ, I need to tell you about a future trumpet blast. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and following, Paul says, We shall not all sleep, 
We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Outside of 1 Corinthians, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 16. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise. The powerful word of Christ is connected with the image of a trumpet blast. And it aims to get attention. It aims to gather. There's nothing subtle about trumpet blasts. John, in the book of Revelation, connects the word of the living Christ with the sound of a trumpet. And John, in Revelation 1.10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. In 1 Corinthians 15 Paul refers to that last trumpet, which is called there the command of Christ, a thundering voice to raise the dead. It is also associated with worship and with warfare. You see in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that there is an enemy to be defeated by the resurrection of the dead. He says the last enemy is death. What will signal the defeat of the last enemy? The last trumpet, that's the answer. The last trumpet is reserved for the last enemy on that last day. And the people of God will rise with resurrection life. And the rising of the saints will mean victory over death that has been promised. And their warfare will have ended. And the church will be fully and finally at rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. The last trumpet is a call to assemble. But it's not the eastern tribes and the southern tribes and the western tribes. Let's go to the tent of meetings. And No, the assembly is a different kind of assembly that no Old Testament story records. It's an assembly of the dead. The last trumpet assembles those in the tombs. It tells us in John 5, 28 and 29, in the words of Jesus, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. If you think for a moment and say, well, you know, Paul's associating it with a trumpet blast. So Jesus is talking about his own command as the Son of Man. Which is it? Is it the voice of God or is it the trumpet blast? Well, don't you realize the latter image is about the former. It's about the command of God, his authority on display. The trumpet blasts were not to be ignored. Oh, that's just the blast of the silver trumpets, the the tribe of Simeon might say. We can ignore those. No, The silver trumpet blast represented the authority of God at work in the camp to guide and summon the people. And when the blast happens, obedience is to be the response. Jesus says those who are in the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of Man and come out. In Numbers chapter 10, the authoritative command of God and the blasting of the trumpets go together. The guidance of God and the protection of God. The victory of God 
and the remembrance of God. All associated with trumpet blast. The context is joy and worship for the glory of God of the King. We do not await a day when the sons of Aaron will blow the trumpets. That is not what we are waiting for. Jesus has established a superior priesthood and we await the Lord himself to descend with a trumpet blast. He is enthroned even now in the heavenly places, reigning with all authority and glory. And our heavenly mediator knows how to shake the tombs with his voice. You just have to read the gospel stories to learn what his voice can do. He says to the leper, be healed, and the leper is healed. He says to the paralytic, take up your bed and go home. And the paralytic rises healed and does. Be gone, Jesus says to the demons, and they leave. You are forgiven, he says to the sinners, and they are forgiven. Be still, he says to the winds and waves, and they stop moving. Come forth, Jesus says to Lazarus, and he emerges. Friends, when we tell you that the last enemy, which is death, will be defeated at the sound of the last trumpet, that is not because the sons of Aaron will blast it, but the voice of the Son of God himself, who will say to the tombs, let there be life, and there shall be life, victory, and remembrance, and joy, and to the fullest. Our victory will last as long as our everlasting life. Let's stand as we pray.